Welcome to Creative Conversations, the podcast where we talk about creativity in all its diverse forms. I'm your host, Yang Mei Ui. In this episode, my guests are actress and playwright Janet Bean and theatre director Jessica Higgs. And we're talking about writing, acting, directing, and Janet's new one-woman play, Why Shouldn't I Go? Now let's start with you, Janet Beam. You come from a family of distinguished theatre folk and performers. Uh, was it an expectation that you would go into theatre and acting? Um, I don't know particularly that I did come from a distinguished family of theatre folk and perform. I mean, performers, they were all performing in their own living rooms most of the time. I think what I came from was a, a family of um, communists, anarchists, terrorists. <laughs> um, yeah, the writing was a kind of a tradition in the family. That is true. My, um, Brendan, my uncle's uncle, uh, used to put on plays at the Queen's Theatre. He was an actor-manager at the Queen's Theatre in Dublin. Um, his, uh, my grandmother's brother was a poet and wrote the words of the Irish National Anthem. So, yeah, there was this tradition. My father certainly wrote. Um, my uncle Dominic wrote songs. I don't, don't think there was any expectation that I would uh, become an actress. I think... Uh, my parents were far too busy thinking about the revolution that was just round the corner to think for a moment what their children might have been doing at the time or later or at any point. So do you think that the writing was a way of expressing views and, you know, that kind of anarchist or, or kind of anti-establishment or, or something that was that needed to be expressed in some way? For them? Yes, for them. Yes, definitely. Uh, most definitely, yeah. Mm. Uh, my father wrote a piece um, for a publication <clears throat> that was a compilation of um, articles about revolution, about uh, new political ideas, and that was one of the first things he ever got published. I can't remember the name of the publication, but uh, yes, it was a, it was a political um, essay. Yeah. So what drew you into, into theatre and I, acting? I wanted, but I, my uncle, when I was young, my uncle was extremely famous. He was in all the papers and I was constantly getting tormented at school with things like, oh, you think you're better than everybody because you're a being, blah, blah, blah. I mean, we lived in a prefab, so it was quite hard to imagine that you were better than anybody, really. Um, and uh, I just wanted to be famous. I didn't, it didn't matter if I was going to be an ice skater or a ballet dancer or whatever. I just wanted to be famous. And I think I took to acting in order to get a bit of attention in the home. I used to put on little plays for my parents. My parents rowed on an almost weekly basis there would be this huge explosive row and I think it was a way of trying to sort of um, distract them and divert them and make them look at me. Look at me, look at me. Yes, look at me, look at me. <laughs> yes. Now Jessica Higgs, you're a director um, and Janet's uh, um, given us a little bit of a background of her um, her family background. Um, what about you? What 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 was your background and did it contribute to how you were um, inspired to, to enter directing and, and work in the theatre? Um, well, definitely my, my background, not professional artist, but um, my mother's family were very musical. Uh, and again, not 
professional but very talented amateurs. So she introduced music into the family. Um, but together they, they had their own amateur group down in Kent. And so as we were growing up, um, we, you know, once a year when the panto was on, we were surrounded by people putting on shows and we all studied musical instruments. So um, doing theatre and music was very much encouraged. And um, three of us uh, went on to, to study professionally, two of us to drama school and one to music college. Um, and so, you know, professional life in theatre and music was greatly encouraged and, and of interest. So that took me into the theatre, but of course I started as uh, an actor and a singer and composer. And it's in the second half of my career that, that I've become a director and also a voice coach. But, you know, it's, it's always been there and was encouraged. Uh, and I responded. I, I think it's really interesting how, you know, family environment can actually encourage you and nurture you and kind of um, uh, put ideas into your head as to what possibilities there are. In, in my family, we loved books and we loved reading. And I had a number of uncles who fancied themselves as a writer. And my one of my grandfathers uh, was also keen on being a writer. So I think that kind of got into my blood and eventually, um, uh, and they were also professionals, so lawyers and doctors. So I was kind of pushed professionally into um, law lawyering, uh, but also that passion for creativity and writing um, was always there in childhood. And eventually I, I actually did that for myself professionally so I, I love that sort of hearing about other people's backgrounds and how that all feeds into their creativity so so Janet um, what are some of the sort of uh, kind of um, uh, highs and lows of, of being an actor hmm. <clears throat> well I suppose the highs are when you're in the bar afterwards and everybody comes on and tells you how good you were <laughs> I think that's probably it, really. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, it's a lovely, it's a lovely process. Um, it's, it's a very creative thing, you know. You have to, you have to dig very deep. You have to be very disciplined. You have to concentrate like hell. And these things are all, you know, good for a human being. Um, the hard thing, I. It, well, there are so many hard things. It's hard to find work. It's especially hard to find work. It's very difficult to combine it with having children. I remember the first time I got pregnant, I phoned up my agent and I said, oh, I'm pregnant. And he said, oh, well, good idea. <laughs> um, and he was right because unless you're very, very successful, there isn't the money there to provide a consistent form of childcare. And even if you are successful, I've known people at the top of the profession who have been having to provide childcare for their children, often getting on for 24 hours a day. And really, that's not what you have a child for, is it? So, um, so once I had children, uh, it kind of petered out. I kept going for a little while, you know, with, a, with the help of my husband, my mother-in-law, my mother, um, uh, and a variety of um, au pairs and odd and sods like that. But um, in the end, especially as one of my children um, is severely autistic, it proved completely impossible. Then you have the other uh, problem. When you come out the other end, you're old and there aren't any parts for women of a 
certain age, you're, you're lucky if you've got two lines as the grandma. Really. So do you think that that was part of the reason that you uh, were drawn into writing your own work? I was drawn into writing uh, my own work because, write, writing the first play that I wrote because um, I was at home unable to act and I don't know why but I have to have some kind of creative outlet um, and an opportunity arose to write a play about my uncle, my uncle Brendan Bean and I grasped it with both hands and wouldn't let anybody else <laughs> anywhere near it. And can you just tell us about the, oh, yes, the, the name was, of the play? And the name of the play it. was it was it was it is called Brendan at the Chelsea, and it started off as an adaptation of Brendan Bean's New York, which proved completely impossible to adapt for the stage. Um, and after a number of years and a number of different producers, it I, I got a, a, a workshop at the National Theatre, and at the workshop at the National Theatre, just three days. Adrian Dunbar was cast as Brendan and the day after the workshop finished um, Adrian came round to my house with a, I think it was a panettone and said he wanted to do my play and thereafter followed a process of maybe three years of trying to find a venue, trying to raise the money and uh, we put the play on at the Riverside Theatre in Hammersmith and then a couple of years later it was taken up as the first production in the newly reopened studio space at the totally really re rebuilt and beautiful, beautiful um, Lyric Theatre in Belfast. And a couple of years after that, it was put, back, put on in the main house this time because it sold out in the studio space. So it was put on in the main house and toured to America, New York, Dublin and Derry, uh, sold out in Dublin, did nine weeks in good, very good business on 42nd Street in New York. Um, and that so far is that. <laughs> but that's so exciting. But I'm very, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I mean, there's talk of me and Adrian uh, creating a screenplay from it, but of course he's got very, very famous and busy, so um, it's, it's trying to find time for that. Yeah, but very exciting and interesting, of course, as a writer, your play lives on and on, whereas as a performer, you were saying you know, it's, it's short term, it's, it's a struggle, but actually you write the play, play, off it goes, somebody else performs it and you can sit back and... Well, that's the, that's the hope, that's the hope. Um, otherwise, it's sort of sitting there in a little play graveyard, isn't it? <laughs> or should say more, waiting to be pulled out of a drawer and yes. warmed up, chafed yes. into life. Yes. Um, and now turning to you, Jessica Higgs, um, uh, uh, Janet was talking about the ups and downs of, of being an actor um, and then turning uh, to, 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 to playwriting. And, and so for you, um, you started off life um, as a performer yourself and then turned to directing. Could you um, share some of that journey and, and how and what inspired you to, to, to become a director? Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of straightforward because I did start as a, an actor and um, singer, as I said, and a composer and musical director. But as I approached 40, um, although I was doing lots of interesting work, I wasn't earning enough. Uh, and I just thought, I can't carry on like this indefinitely. I have to earn. Um, and because I'd already 
uh, taught singing because I'd studied singing and when actors knew I was a singer that they always approached me to help them so I'd done quite a lot of uh, singing training for people. Um, I thought that I would retrain to teach spoken voice and that would allow me to stay working in theatre, uh, which is what I wanted to do. Um, and so I went on the specialist voice course at Central School of Speech and Drama and, and did that. Uh, and that was great. And I thought, oh, it's fantastic. I've, I've found the thing that's going to uh, my income because once I'd done the course, it immediately kind of guaranteed my income. Um, um, I think I'm good at it and, you know, I'll be able to do this the rest of my life. However, <laughs> within a few years, um, it wasn't enough. And it's a bit of what Janet was saying about the, the need to do something creative. And when you've been uh, a, a performer or composer, as I had, although I enjoyed teaching voice, it wasn't creative in the same way those other things were, which is when I started directing, because that gave me that creative output and as a counterbalance to the teaching. And um, how do you, did you did you have an instinct for directing? Did you go away and learn directing? How does that all, all work? Um, <laughs> you can uh, go on directing courses now. An awful lot of theatre work, we a lot of areas we sort of improvise our way into them. It has to be said. I think, um, I think actors learn plenty about directing from directors. Yes, good and bad. Don't you? Well, and it's like my voice work. You know, having been an actor. Um, and being that side, you you know, you, you kind of know and learn what works. And then for me, you know, I'm directing people to produce the kind of work uh, that I like to see. Uh, but that doesn't mean in a, hopefully in a controlling way because I'm listening to what they want as well. Yeah. Um, and it's about a, a craft of a knowledge of what works on stage, which you accrue by doing it. Broadly, yeah. I, I again, I'm thinking of my own experience in, in comparison to that. That as a writer, I, I never went uh, on an MA course or anything like that. It was just instinctive because I wanted to read certain things and that were not out there. So I wrote my my own stuff. Um, and trial and error, I've got a drawer full of stuff that's never worked, and so they're just sort of sitting there gathering mould and probably need to be chucked out. But then, as you as you do it, um, you improve your your skill, and eventually something is actually worth getting out there. Uh, and, and I should say that actually uh, I was able to start directing because for four years I taught at the poor school run by Paul Caster, which is now finished because he's retired. But uh, Paul was very good at allowing his tutors to direct if they wanted to. So he gave me that opportunity to start directing and, and I'm very grateful to him for that. So it's learning and practicing your craft, and yeah, yeah. And you're uh, as a director, you often work with uh, solo writers and performers directing their plays. Um, and um, you and I worked together. You directed my show Bound Feet Blues. Um, recently, you also directed the showcase of Hijab Matters. Uh, Hijabi Matters. Hijabi Matters, and by Shireen Shalhi. And you're now uh, working with Janet Bean on her um, new play, which we're going to come up and talk about shortly. Um, what draws you to these solo shows? Well, I, I think they draw. <laughs> I think looking back, they they draw me. I didn't set out to do them. Um, this is the ninth. Uh, 
one person show I've done. Eight of them have been with women and one man. Uh, it began about 20 years ago after I'd directed uh, Harold Pinter's uh, Double Bill, uh, Mountain Language and Landscape, working with deaf and hearing actors to do it in sign language. Um, and somebody, uh, Julia McNamara, who at that time was running the London Disability Arts Forum, was slightly involved, and she liked what she saw that I did in that show, and then asked me to direct her one-woman show. Um, and so it's kind of gone from there, and I've never, as I say, sorted out, it sought me out. So, you know, I have to think uh, that there's something about the, the things that I'm good at that that suit uh, working that, that way, because it's very particular and very intense. Um, and so it's kind of trying to work out what it is about me and the way I work. And the things I like, I mean, um, of those nine shows, um, seven of them were original autobiographical or semi-autobiographical pieces by the person who was writing and performing it. Um, and uh, with putting their their life view on stage culturally very different to myself and that's that's something I'm very interested in um, and so yes so they find me out and, and very often as I mean Janet and I've known each other for a long time but she came to see Bound Feet Blues liked what she saw and had wanted to have her pieces produced so asked me if, if I was interested Great. So that is quite a nice segue into uh, Janet Bean um, and your current one-woman play, Why Shouldn't I Go? Can you tell us something about that? Um, why Shouldn't I Go? It's three Irish women, um, all of whom, two, two of them from the south of Ireland, one from the north of Ireland, two of them from Catholic communities, one from a strict evangelical community, who have lost lost their power and agency lost the have had their their reproductive rights if you like wrested from them by indirectly by the church directly by the community by their own families um, and they are they're all quite different from each other these three ladies each each monologue is about 20 minutes long um, they're delivered in different styles. One lady is reading out to her creative writing class, one lady is talking to herself, and the other one is I'm not going to say because it's a surprise. <laughs> um, uh, and they're, they're funny, and they're sad, and they're shocking, and they are, although these are all things that happened to these women a long time ago, they are, you know, in the light of Margaret Atwood's latest book these are alongside her book which obviously <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Margaret Atwood but the, the plays offer a warning they offer a warning because we are at a very delicate balance uh, in history where things we thought were in the past still go on and possibly the balance is tipping the other way and women are becoming less free and having less agency and how did these voices or these personalities um, emerge that you felt, oh, I've got to write this? 
Um, did they come to you or did you sit down and go, okay, I'm going to write a play? Which came first? The, I, you know, the ideas or I'm going to write a play or ooh, they're, they're talking to me and I have to express them? It, uh, it's the characters. And I think that's, if, if you're a writer who's been an actor, it's probably always going to be uh, driven from the point of view of the characters. Um, and then the imaginative process of what those characters um, have been going through. And I mean, there's a grain of truth in each of them, but you just take that grain of truth and you, you, you turn it into something. There's a thing that Brendan used to say, he used to say, um, uh, I, I want to, you know, entice the audience with a song and a laugh and sneak the message in without them knowing it's there. And I think that's very much the, you know, going back to what Jess said about the kind of theatre that she wanted to see or what you were saying about the kind of writing you wanted to see, that's the kind of show I like to go to. I, I don't want to be hammered over the head um, and I don't want it to be flim-flam. So I, I want to have a pleasant evening, but I want to have learned something by the end of it and that's what I'm hoping people are going to get out mm. of this show. And so the, 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 the each uh, of the three stories, are they... Uh, uh, is there anything autobiographical, or are they inspired by people that you've observed, or...? No, they're not autobiographical in the least. They're, they're observations, yeah. And they, they're they all um, Irish women, yeah. and that's that's quite a strong part of your, um, your, your story, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, it is, yes. Um, I mean, both North and South, because I'm married to a, a Belfast man, um, and... It's, very, it's a very odd thing, isn't it, in life? I mean, for instance, on my journey here this morning, I went past where I, uh, uh, past the, um, where I went to primary school, and then I walked up the road that I used to walk up to. This building was a school, and I walked up the road that I used to walk, got off the bus at my bus stop, walked up the road that I used to walk up in 19, I don't know, 64 or something. And in the same way, I, my first, uh, one of my first theatre jobs was in Northern Ireland. Then I went back to Northern Ireland to work at the Old Lyric and I met my husband in the bar there. And then, of course, I was going back the whole time because his family lived there. Um, so I have a very, very strong association with that place and a love for it, really, too. So, but you've been living in, in England for... I was born in England. Okay. I am I am diaspora. Okay. Uh, so you but you you live in England but but you're Irish. I, is yeah, it, my, father, is it your my father was Irish. Yeah, and I just want to add to that because you know, I said before Janet and I have known each other for a very long time. In fact, uh, we first met when we acted together in a Bryony Lavery play bag. And um, sometimes I'm quite slow at putting things together, but um, you know, what was obvious then that uh, Janet was a fantastic actor um, and that she, she brought something unusual to the, the stage that we others weren't doing, although we were all British-born, um, lovely imagination and, and fire, um, which I thought was marvellous. And, of course, I've seen bits and pieces over the year. But when uh, I went to... Um, rehearsed reading that she did of course it, it it you know the penny drop the thing that I was loving was your the Irishness so even though you're born here but the Irish is so strong in you mm. and so in a, a stage in London to have something that is so full of that Irish colour and flavour and um and to have it here rather than going to Ireland see it, 
is is a joy and, a, and an added blessing to have on stage. And so you play all all three women. I do. So um, that's that's. Who thought that up? That's very very <laughs> juicy for you. You've written some parts for yourself. Yeah. Um, can you sh- share some of that sort of process of how how you inhabit those characters, and perhaps Jess can chip in with the sort of directing side of that. Well, it's a, it is an interesting process because, of course, if you've written something, and I guess you must have found this too when you're doing Bound Feet Blues, there is a process at the beginning where you are assessing the writing and not quite inhabiting the human being. And then you almost have to get to a stage where it's like the words are nothing to do with you and you're just learning it as if it was somebody else's writing. And, um, I mean, the wonderful thing about Jess is that she's... She's terribly skilled at this, but she has a great... Her skills of of imagination are extraordinary, and there are all sorts of things that I must say wouldn't have occurred to me when I was writing it about the way that she's bringing it to life, or has, you know, been bringing it to life. Um, when, I'm, when I'm working with people who've written the work... Um, I'm always trying to find out, uh, and it, you know, some of it's obvious, but I'm always trying to make sure that um, what I think I'm going for is what the writer first intended, because that's the really strong um, part of what's going on. Uh, so I tend to ask quite a lot of questions, actually, uh, about that, so that I can understand, so that then I can then bring that out. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then, overall, in terms of way um, that, that I do solo shows, was very uh, is very much inspired by uh, an actor and writer called Jack Claff, who's still around, but came over from South Africa in the late 70s, 80s, and he used to do a lot of solo shows, um, and still does. And, and they're marvellous, and what he does is he makes sure that he peoples the stage... <laughs> imaginatively, which is crucial for solo shows because um, if you just talk to the audience, it doesn't matter how interesting you are, it just it pulls on the audience. So I'm trying to find the essence of the writing but then putting it in a context on stage that's going to work for the audience so that location or if other people are present or even casting the audience, the other people, that that is very vivid because that is what drama and theatre is, creating a reality for the audience. Yes, so you're not just as the audience looking at one person on the stage for an hour, but you're looking at that person and they and all the world that they see um, in their mind, no matter whatever the the set decoration is or or whatever, and um, all the other people that they're seeing in that world, Mm. so that for the audience it's a rich um, textured experience. Mm. Um, so, Janet, with the three characters, um, and you're playing each one, and each one is a distinct, different woman, yeah. um, can you just give us an example, um, perhaps, um, uh, with, say, the first woman, um, who is she, what is she, how did you portray her that made her different from the second woman and the third? Oh, um, well, you know, it's a very sort of basic thing. They're all, they've all got different accents. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think they are entirely distinguishable on the basis of their accents, but they have different personalities. The first lady is um, uh, rather 
uh, overexcited. She's reading something that she's written out to her creative writing class, but she's uh, a, a chatter, so she keeps distracting herself. She keeps giving you little sort of sidebars of information. Um, and lulls the audience along into thinking this is this is all very nice and jolly and very funny. And then she, without without knowing herself what she's doing, she lets go these pieces of information that are that are truly shocking. Um, the second lady is she's a shut-in. Um, she's um, emigrated to Ireland. Because she uh, something happened which meant that London. she had uh, she emigrated to London uh, because something happened that meant that she had to go, and she's suffering severe depression, almost I'd say psychosis. Um, and the third lady is somebody who uh, is quite matter of fact and. Um, come to terms with her life and living a very ordinary, quiet life. Um, but she also has a secret that is you know, painful and shocking. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, it's interesting, again, dramatically, because you've got three different characters. So uh, you're also making choices about how they're going to sit together in that one evening. Whereas if you were do, just doing one you might make different choices if they're standalone, but the fact that there are three of them, you've got to kind of bear that in mind in terms of balance. So what does that mean kind of in practical terms, just as an example for, for, for the lay person who doesn't understand theatre as such? Well, um, well, one thing you've got to make sure that um, none of the characters' characterisation bleed into the other. So they've got to be very clear, but I mean, it it is just about a bit of balance, you know. If one is light and frothy, and something is dark, you know, trying to find something that's going to sit with that in the in the middle. So you've got a contrast, and not too much of one thing. And if something is pacey, then you need to be slow. And yeah. And so you 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 gave an example that the first lady. Um, she, uh, you, you portray her through her language um, and that she sort of slips things in. And so each character has a different voice through the, through the writing. Um, that, would that be a, a, way, a good way to yes. describe that? Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and so then in terms of, the, the, apart from accents, there's the voice, the pacing and the voice, presumably. I'm looking at Jessica here. Um, <laughs> and, 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 um, and, and physicality, do you, how, do you, uh, how do you work together to create different physicality for each of the characters? Uh, we occasionally do hot seating to help Janet find that. And then again, that balance, you know, if one... Can you explain what, what, what hot seating yes, is? Yes, hot seating is just the uh, actor sits in character and is asked questions. Um, to do with the play or their lives and stuff and through that improvised process it helps the actor um, kind of find out who their their character is. Hmm. Um, and did you find that you were sitting differently or moving differently for, for each different woman? Yes, I mean I think they are, they are quite different. I hope they are. <laughs> and, and of course accent itself provokes a different physicality yeah. anyway. Um, and how would that kind of manifest? I guess it's sort of like trying to... Uh, well, it of... does, because there, there is uh, 
internal rhythms in each accent. There is the physicality of making the accent in your mouth. It has a different shape, um, different accents. Um, hits the, the palate in a different way. <laughs> I work a lot with Americans, and what I can tell you is um, the standard British accent is very forward and very up and down, and you get that very stiff, you know, atypical English kind of up and down, whereas American is broad and goes wide and, and is further back in the... And so, even demonstrating to you... Yeah, I just want to describe... Okay, you're <laughs> Just to describe, when, when Jess was uh, inhabiting the English accent, she automatically sat up very straight, like a school mom. Um, and then when she was doing the, the American accent, she kind of slumped a little bit and was much more expansive in, in yeah. her body. So, you know, uh, we don't really see it when we're looking at people, but the truth is how we are making sound... We are moving our jaw and tongue in, in a different shape, and then, of course, that shape goes through into the body. And so, you know, the characters are different just through yeah, that. That's fascinating. And, of course, you, when you mentioned that your three Irish women have three different accents, and, of course, me being completely ignorant, I only thought there was one. I've learned something today. As my grandmother would say, what better am I, you know, <laughs> I hear one Chinese person <laughs> speaking... That's all Chinese people as far as I'm concerned. And I know that that's not true. There are many, many different languages and the regional variations must be enormous, mustn't they? As interestingly, tiny though Northern Ireland is, the regional variations in... I remember doing a play in Northern Ireland once and the director said to me, he said, to, said no, I think it's more of a Donica D accent. And I thought, what is a Donica D accent? So I went there and bought an ice cream, but I couldn't really figure out, you know, what the difference was. But yeah, no, I mean, because anywhere where there is any kind of geographical barrier, the next valley, the accent's going to be different. And even in a tiny place like Northern Ireland, this is true. It's still true today. So, OK, just to, to round things up, um, your one-woman play, Why Shouldn't I Go? Um, well, to the audience, why should they go to see Why should they go? It's it, Well, it says here on this press release, it's short. Oh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Number one, it's, short. it's an hour, just, under, it? just under an hour um, on a good night. And it's funny. It's poignant. It's important. You will learn things. You will laugh. You will, I hope, cry your eyes out. Um, yeah, so that's why you should go. Uh, yes, I mean, all those things and... You can feel that it it needs to be performed, you know. Think about all art, it, it comes out of a need, and these piece, pieces have come out of a need to both entertain, but, as Janet said, to, and I think, a, a Edward Bond poem, Have You Left the Theatre Changed? that theatre something, and that can be through laughter or tears, but there's something going on that's both entertaining, but actually has touched you in some way that something has changed. And, and that's going on in the pieces. Thank you. So, Janet Byrne, where and when is your play going to be on? Okay. Um, well, our first performance is at the Belsize Community Library, Antrim Road, NW3, on the 4th of October at 730 
We then have a performance at the Shoreham Word Fest in Sussex, Shoreham by Sea, which is the town that I now live in, has a wonderful literary festival every year, and we are playing the rope tackle. We, I am playing the rope for myself. I will be there, <laughs> yes, Janet. Yes, holding my hand, uh, metaphorically, uh, at the rope tackle on the 8th of October at 8 o'clock. Uh, we then go to the London Irish Centre in Camden um, from November the 14th to the 16th. Um, and then we got a date, 25th of January in Lewisham, Lewisham Irish Centre, Irish Community Centre, 25th January, 7.30. Um, and more dates to follow, I'm sure. And if people want to find out more about you and your play online, is there a website? Uh, I there isn't a website. I have a website. I have a WordPress site, which would be Janet B and, and then some numbers. Um, and there is a the, the Why Shouldn't I Go Facebook page. Okay. Yeah, and all the details will be on there. Great. Thank you very much, Jessica Hicks and Janet Bean. Thank you. Thank you. You can find photos and links and also the dates and venues of Janet's play on the show notes page. The bit.ly short link for the show notes page is bit.ly bit forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. You can also Google Creative Conversations with Janet Bean and Jessica Higgs, hosted by Yang Mei Ui, Season 2, Episode 8, CCV0208. And that should pop up uh, on your Google search uh, straight to the uh, show. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Conversations podcast, please do share it with your friends wherever you share stuff. The Creative Conversations podcast is produced by tigerspirit.co.uk. The podcast web link is bit.ly bit.ly forward slash creative conversations hyphen podcast. I'm Yang Mei Ui. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook as at Tiger Spirit UK. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>